as we talk about what we read this past week. This past week, we read Genesis 3 through 5. How many of you did your reading this week? Familiar passages of Scripture. We open up and we see the fall of man. We see the lie that is propagated and given. We see the casting out of the garden and the punishments given to the serpent, to the woman, to the man. The access lost to the Garden of Eden. We see humanity growing and we see the interaction of Cain and Abel and how jealousy and unrighteousness works itself out evilly in death and destruction. We see grace through it all, but we see the degradation of a society as we see Lamech, who's a descendant, turning around and saying, you know, if Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. Not a proclamation of the Lord, but almost like a mafia king saying, I killed a man for injuring me. And no better, better do anything about it. And then we see the generations from Adam to Noah, the long lifespans that were given to men at that time. And it questions our sensibilities in our modern age, does it not? Adam lived 930 years. Methuselah, the oldest man who ever lived, died before his father did. Methuselah, 969, his, his father Enoch walked with God 300 years and he was not for God took him. He's one of two men in the Bible, Elijah being the other one that we read about who is taken from this presence on earth into directly the presence of God. So many fantastical things that we read in these first chapters that attack our sensibilities. And yet, the ironic thing in these three chapters is there were two times that there were two questions given about or to God. Questions are not a bad thing. I I like questions personally. How many of you like questions? I like questions. How many of you are good question askers, right? I want to know what I don't know, so I will be the one to ask. I'm going to ask that question that everybody's embarrassed to ask because they don't want to look stupid. I don't care if I look stupid. I'm asking that question. If there are no stupid questions, I'm going to push that boundary, right? How many of you are that person? Raise your hand. Come on. Honest questions are always welcome. Don't you agree? I I think honest questions should always be welcomed by Christians, by anybody. I want to understand. Tell me something I don't understand. I'm hearing this. I don't get it. I don't get it. Tell me until I understand. Help me. Walk me through that. I will never have a problem with an honest question, but not all questions are honest. 
And the two questions that we see in this biblical text, in Genesis chapter 3 and chapter 4, the two questions that are asked of God, either about God and His character or to God Himself, the two questions that are asked are not honest questions. And I think that there are questions that you and I as believers in Christ and people who are here to learn about Christ need to ask ourselves, are we the ones asking this type of question? We're going to start with the second one first. It's found in Genesis chapter 4. It's a familiar story of Cain and Abel. Starting in verse 1, Adam lay with his wife Eve and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And she said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. And in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fast portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? For if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied, am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out from me from the ground. Now you're under a curse and driven from the ground which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. We read the account of Cain and Abel, and Cain asks this question of God, where is your brother? Am I my brother's keeper? Is that an honest question? Is there anything honest about the question that's given? That that question right there is only to deflect attention away from something that Cain has already done. He knows what he's done to his brother. He knows that Abel is no longer alive. So when God asks him what happened to him, he answers him maybe as he would answer another human being thinking God's a human being doesn't already know what has happened. I killed him. Nobody knows where he's at. I've buried him. The problem is that God is the best forensic scientist out there, right? And whether Cain knew it or not, he was there when the event took place. The question isn't an honest one because Cain doesn't want to be held accountable for his actions. Cain doesn't want it revealed 
that this has happened. See, there are some questions that you and I face in our society today where people ask us questions and really that asking of a question is a deflection based upon decisions or actions or things that have already taken place. It's already done. And as a result of that, they're not really trying to get into an honest conversation. Karen sharing with us very hard truth about the horrors of abortion and talking about some of the confrontations that she has faced within churches. I can't help but believe that some of the questions and confrontations that she has faced with some of the people who have held a view that is not biblical is because they, much like Cain, aren't really interested in the question. They've already stepped into something. They've already committed something that has skewed the honest conversation, the true viewpoint to really talk about it that needs to be exposed so that the grace of God can work in the midst of those people. If you find yourself in that, I I really encourage you, reach out. If you held on to viewpoints that, that have prevented an honest conversation concerning things of God and the Scriptures, is it because I've already stepped in this direction? Now, the beautiful thing about the Cain and Abel story is this, is immediately afterward, when his sin is confronted, verse 13, it says, Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence and I'll be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, he will suffer vengeance seven times over. And then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. And so Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And there's a a place of mercy as this sin of Cain is exposed, as this question is exposed for the falsity of what it is. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, you are. You knew that. But you chose to walk separately from that. And now punishment comes upon Cain and Cain cries out for mercy and God gives him mercy. I'm going to be driven out from your presence. The curse is going to be even harder on me than it was on Adam. Anybody who finds me, because we're all related, 
Have you ever noticed that from the scripture? Anyone who finds, think about it. If this were someplace today and that were to happen, although I guess the internet makes it very hard to hide certain things, but there is a possibility that I could start someplace else. I could get a new name for myself. I could go someplace else, right? I could go to Seattle. I don't know. I just mentioned Seattle because I was looking at Sam. So... I could go to Seattle. Yeah, he's got the Seahawks wearing it proudly right there. I could go to Seattle. I could go to Dallas. I could go, I could go to a small little town that nobody has heard of. I could change my name and nobody would know this nefarious past of mine. There ain't that many people on the earth. I mean, there's some. They're all related. It's like going to a great big family reunion. Did you hear what Uncle Cain did? That's why Uncle Abel's not here today. You know what we should do? We should go get the pickup truck and take care of Uncle Cain. But Genesis speaks to the truth of the situation. If the population were huge, he could just relocate and rename himself and nobody would know. God in his grace and his mercy recognizes the truthfulness of Cain's pleading for help. Why? Because anyone who sees me will know what I have done and they'll kill me. Not so. I'm going to put a mark of grace upon you that anybody who sees you realize they would be suffering vengeance and this is the Lord's vengeance this isn't man's vengeance he's appealing to God for both mercy and safety the same mercy that is given to us and so if you find yourself being dishonest about questions concerning things that you have already done I want to tell you there's grace and mercy in the Lord and so in chapter 4 we deal with one dishonest question because it's something we've already done but the second one is even more nefarious because it comes from the mouth of satan himself and it's interesting because when we read about this account and satan coming in this form of a serpent there are those who would use this very account to discount what the Bible actually says. Do you believe that Satan showed up as a serpent? How can not this not be an allegory? It's not a real account. Do you really believe in demons? Those things are just fairy tales. They're trying to get you to have good morals in your life. That's really all that it is. And ironically, that line of thinking, that line of questioning is right along the lines of where Satan goes in his account. Beginning of chapter 3 of Genesis, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say You must not eat from any tree in the garden. 
The woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat the fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. See, what makes this question nefarious from the serpent is that it's only designed and meant to confuse. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? It's not an honest question. It's just not. And Satan is pushing on the desire that both Adam and Eve have to have that which God has forbidden them. I want to share with you that we believe the scripture that says that the wages of sin is death. Do you agree with me, right? That because of sin entering into the world, death is a result of that sin. And sin, simply put, is the disobedience of the commands of God. Would you guys agree with that? Have you guys ever wondered why God said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Have any of you ever thought, you had one job. You had one job. That's it. Right? It's like parents having the cookies. Now, don't eat these freshly baked cookies. They're for later. And all the children can do is like, but they smell so good. Must have cookies. The problem is we get a little too focused on the idea that this might be the only thing they could have done wrong. God in his foreknowledge knew what was going to tempt them. But there are at least five commands that are given to Adam and Eve in one warning. He made him male and female. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. That's a command. No, I really want the badger to lead me in this. Mr. Beaver, you make a better home than me. Show me the way. Nope. That would have been an abdication of a role that God had given them. Be fruitful and multiply. Adam and Eve had no problem with that. If they did, we would not be here today. Just letting you know that. They trained that one well. But not doing it would have been disobedience. He planted a tree. He planted a garden. He said, take care of this garden. If Adam had decided, well, let's just burn it let's go scorched earth on the thing. That would have been equal disobedience. 
He's given all the animals to name. Name the animals. I don't feel like it, God. I'm just going to be over here, not even in my room, because I don't have a room. I'm going to be here by this tree. Call me when you're done naming the animals. See, we don't see that, do we? These are all commands given. These are all things that he has to do along with not eating of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There are five things that we know of in that passage of Scripture that any of those things, the breaking of any of those commands would have been equal sin. But God in his foreknowledge knew exactly which one was going to tempt them. They're not tempting over the ruling of the animals. They're not tempting over the be fruitful and multiply. They're not tempting over taking care of the garden. They're not tempted over naming all the animals. You know what they are tempted? Don't eat of that tree. Oh, but I got it. It looks so good. And so Satan comes in. And he asks a question. Specifically. To begin to usurp. The word of God that was being said. And they have this desire inside of them that they want to eat of this fruit. Because one of the things that you see is that the conversation is taking place and Eve eats of the fruit and then she turns and gives some to Adam. Where was Adam when this conversation is taking place? Right there by Eve. Okay. Sounds good to me. We got problems, don't we? We got a lot of problems that have happened. And they eat of the fruit, and their eyes are opened. They recognize that they're naked, and they go and sow fig leaves for themselves. I don't know if they're fig leaves. The Bible doesn't say it says leaves. We've always said fig leaves. I don't even know why we say fig leaves. Huh? They're big. So, so yeah. I'm just I'm glad it's not. I, who knows? Might have been poison oak. I don't know. Anyway, so. <laughs> Verse 8. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit of the tree, and I ate it. Way to man up, right? (laughs) That woman you gave me? Oh, It's all her fault. I was standing here minding my own business. She had me fruit. And she's like, eat that fruit. And I said, okay, woman, I eat the fruit you give me. No. Seriously? I love it. I, the, woman, the woman you put here, with, she gave me some fruit and I, I ate it. I just unquestionably didn't, I didn't even recognize it. I just kind of closed my eyes. Close your eyes. I'm going to stuff this in your mouth. Okay. I'm pretty sure that's not how it went down. We just read the account. Oh. The Lord God said to the woman, what is, this that you have, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. 
So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all the wild animals. You'll crawl on your belly. You'll eat dust all the days of your life. And I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. For since it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Did God really say? Just a piece of fruit, right? Not really that big a deal. Except it is. They were warned. Adam was specifically told the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Death is going to enter the world as a result of you eating that fruit. And we have followed ever since that devil's advice any single time we read a command from the word of God that we do not like. Did God really say? Is it, is it really there in the word of God? See, what I find very instructive concerning all of this is the way that when the punishment comes down, yes, you know, my wife talks about it all the time, we got, we got the curse, we got the childbearing curse, it's so much worse for us now. It's what he says to Adam. And to Adam he says, because you listened to your wife. There are many wives in here saying, yeah, he should listen to his wife. Not when his wife is wrong. And not above the word of the Lord. See, this, in my opinion, is is the culmination of all that has happened. Adam is there at the very beginning, in there, in this discussion with his wife. He hears the error, but the desire of his heart is also wanting that same fruit. That's not just Eve's desire. She ate first. Adam was like, I want it too. (laughs) Eve, you ate it? She didn't drop dead. Yeah, I'm going to take some too. Why? Because did God really say? Did God really say? You know who was around when God really said that? Adam was. You know who wasn't? Eve wasn't. Go look at chapter 2, order of creation. It's Adam first. He caretaken him in the garden. Here's the instruction. Here's the tree of life. Here's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You may eat of any tree of the garden except this one. And then after that, he makes the animals from the ground, brings them to Adam, whatever he names them, that's who they are. There's no suitable helper found for Adam. And so he's put into a deep sleep and the rib is taken out and done so. So Eve hears the instruction of what happens in the garden, not from God, but from Adam. 
and somehow her wires are crossed a little bit. How many of you are into planting? How many of you are planting, gardening, whatever you call the stuff? I'm not into it. I got black thumb. Aaron's got two hands, feet, his whole family, his family's family, except for Karen. You just hack them down, right? Just afterwards. Think about gardening. Can you truly take care of something if you never touch it? Nope. And yet Eve was told the serpent because the serpent was only around to confuse, right? To drag them away from the command of God. And so the question came down to, did God really say you can't eat of any of the fruit? He said, oh, we can eat of all of the fruit of the garden except for the fruit from the tree of life. We can't even touch that tree. Is that what God's command was? No, we've entered in confusion, haven't we? Now we've moved away from what the truth really is. And and guess who's not correcting that error? Adam, who's standing beside. Who's standing passively over there saying, "Um, I don't think that's what God said. But I just want to see how this shakes out. Well, surely you won't die. Because God knows that when you eat of it, you will know good from evil. And Eve, grabbing the fruit, knowing that was good for knowledge, and takes a bite of it. I really think that Adam is just watching to see. If she eats of it, takes that swallow, she didn't fall down dead. Maybe God's not telling the truth. Maybe it's easier for me to open my mouth and receive what she did. And they did, and they can have their eyes opened. Because a question that was given to them was not to draw them close to God, but to bring them far away. It wasn't an honest question. We're dealing with a lot of dishonest questions. In our day and age, in the culture that we live in right now, A lot of people who challenge the word of God, not because they care anything about God, want to know God. They'd rather just drag you away. And like the serpent, the question is there only so confusion. To make you walk into actions that are going to reap consequences unimaginable to where you get to the point where you're like Cain and now you're asking a question to deflect away from things that you have already done and don't want to be called account on. The beauty about the God that we serve, though, is He's a God of redemption. He's a God that despite our sin has sent Jesus to come and die for us. And the beginning of that promise is right there in all of these, pro- all these punishments that are being meted out to the serpent and to the woman and to Adam. Verse 15 of Genesis 3, and I will put enmity, talking to the woman, between you and the woman, between your offspring. Actually, this is actually to the, to the uh, serpent. Between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. 
He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is talking about the promise that eventually somebody from the line of the woman who will be born of a woman is going to come and destroy the work in which has been given there in the garden. The disfellowshipping of, of God with his people and the sin that separates us, that puts us under wrath, that you and I need sacrifice in order to be made right. And none of us are righteous enough for that sacrifice. Only Jesus is. But the beauty is, right then, right there, from the very beginning, God already knew. God knew what the temptation was, knew he's going to fall, and knew the plan of redemption. And offers it to every single one of us who honestly asks the question. What can God do for me? Whatever situation you find yourself in. What can God do for me? Because our God is a God of redemption. But in order to get there, we've got to stop deflecting questions concerning where we've been. We've got to stop asking questions to try and draw people away from the truth of God's word. Did God really say to cast doubt in the minds of others, and to humbly come and say that Jesus, you are Lord, you are Savior, you are all, you have come for my sin, whatever that sin may be, to follow him and have mercy and life in his name. See, the fall is a terrible thing that happens. It begins and shows some dishonest questions, but I love the fact that even in the midst of this, as these deceptions are exposed, these sins are revealed, the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, the God who's right there in the Garden of Eden, is revealed to those who have sinned, that they might have hope. You guys can have that hope today. You can you got to stop questioning, did God really say? we got to start taking him at his word and seeing Christ for who he has been revealed to be in the scriptures. So that we can come mercifully to him as Cain eventually did. As Adam and Eve were exposed to and still mercy is granted to them. And the hope and a future that they're going to be looking forward to until Christ comes, that we continue to look forward to until his return. You can have that hope no matter what's happened in your life. You really can. Because God really did say that Jesus came and died for your sins, rose on the third day to give you the promise of eternal life. He sealed it with his blood. And he's left witnesses of his resurrection that you and I might believe. Would you stand? Which questioner are you? Are you the deflector? worried about the exposure of what has already happened so you just double down 
Are you the deceiver? Wishing to spread doubt in those who truly do believe and not really coming with an honest conversation. Are you the honest person saying, what? What truly can Jesus do for me? Hope is only found in that third question. I pray you'll reach out for that today or offer it to somebody else. God, thank you so much for this time that we have together in this place. As we look at these questions that are asked in Genesis 3 and Genesis 4, Lord, we actually confront ourselves, our sinful human desires to do what we want to do and not what you want to do, to, to echo the words of the serpent that God really says so that we can find a way around that which you have expressly forbidden that causes distance between us and you and all the reason for which Jesus died. God, help us to die to ourselves. Help us and forgive us, Lord, those selfish desires that put that distance between us. Thank you for the grace that you have given us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. And Lord, I admit 100% I am one of those ungodly people that Christ died for, not through my own righteousness, but only through the righteousness of Christ can I stand. And I thank you that that hope is given to every single person who believe, no matter their past. That they can find freedom and redemption in Jesus Christ. But let us bring our questions honestly before your throne. So that we can know what you've really said. And what you've really done, what you've really done through Jesus. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.